Hello and welcome to Beyond Japan, an interdisciplinary podcast that looks at the broad reach of Japanese studies from within and beyond Japan. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Japanese Studies at the Sainsbury Institute for the Study of Japanese Arts and Cultures, in collaboration with the University of East Anglia. I'm your host, Oliver Moxon, Project Support Officer at the Sainsbury Institute and researcher of Japanese war heritage. This week we are joined by Andrea D'Antoni, Associate Professor of Cultural Anthropology at Tsutsumeikan University, discussing how to academically approach rumors of hauntings and the discriminated histories they can represent. We hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, Andrea. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. As usual, I'd like to start off by finding out a bit more about you. Uh, can you tell us about your fields and how your interests brought you there? Well, um, sure, I can. Um, well, first of all, my name is Andrea D'Antoni. I'm Italian and I'm an anthropologist of religion specifically. And it's not really that my interest put me here, <laughs> to be honest. I, f- I started from Japanese studies um, at the University of Venice, Kafoskari University of Venice. I continued there uh, through PhD, and during my PhD, I was in Oxford for a while. I was a little bit around, I was based at Kyoto, I've been doing a lot of field work in Japan. And I was doing research on, initially, um, representations of hell in new religious movements. But then I found out that here in Japan, there are actual places connected to hell, and there is also one in Kyoto. So I completely changed my project. And, and actually my PhD dissertation that now I'm turning into a book is about places connected to hell and the afterlife. And then um, among these places, there is this mountain called Osorezan. And I did quite a bit of fieldwork there. And I realized that there people were in the neighboring city, which is called Mutsu, Mutsushi, people we're talking about ghosts quite freely. And there, it was kind of normal to witness the appearance of a ghost because Osorezan is there, and Osorezan is thought to be the place where all the spirits of the dead gather, basically. If you die, you go to Osorezan. This is what, uh, what they say, before moving to the afterlife. So it was quite obvious for pretty much everyone in Mutsu to see ghosts around because they were going to Sorezan. And that surprised me a lot. And I started, you know, looking into this issue and I started realizing that, you know, haunted places were many there. And then I found out that it wasn't just there. And everything started like that, basically. It's not, it wasn't interest driven. Like, it's not that I was interested personally in hauntings and the afterlife and so on. It is that I found strange things or things that I that were strange to me and people were kind enough to explain those things to me so I started doing research about these topics. Fascinating. So your research so far has explored uh, hauntings, the afterlife, spirits, possession and exorcism, topics which are not often tackled by academia so I was wondering how do you approach these academically? Well, first of all, um, spirit possession and exorcism in general are quite a classic in anthropology. Actually, one of my 
um, difficulties at the beginning was trying to create, you know, you, you have to write research proposals for, to, to get research grants, right? So, um, to, to make it new and original. So, what, I, what is a little bit unusual is doing this kind of research in societies like Japan, in which the medical system, modern, medic modern medicine, is institutionalized. So basically, the, um, the whole approach that I have is obviously anthropological. So it's not, I'm, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm, I'm not a medical specialist. So what I do is trying to do what anthropology is supposed to do, at least from my perspective, that is understanding certain realities from the so-called natives' point of view. And, and so I talk with a lot of people and I try to understand how they feel, what these experiences of relating to ghosts, meeting ghosts or being possessed are in practice. And try to understand how they interrelated with also with the medical system in case, you know, they suffer from certain symptoms and how things went in practice. And I also talk with um, quite a few psychiatrists who um, obviously find themselves facing these kind of, kinds of situations. And it's apparently not always easy, even from a um, psychiatrist's perspective, because you have to define symptoms, you cannot easily give drugs, and so on and so forth. And, but what I do basically... In, in very general terms, is trying to talk with these people and first trying to understand what these experiences mean. Mm -hmm. and, and it means, you know, there is a lot of feeling involved, feeling things or perceiving things or seeing things, even though seeing is relatively uh, rare. But everything is about feeling and experiencing certain things in certain places, in certain moments. And on the other hand, I try to, you know, deconstruct these experiences and try to translate them in terms that are not necessarily pathological in a way. Um, and on the other hand, in terms that can be understandable from a general audience or specialized audience, but even from a gen by a general audience, that would be nice too. So this is more or less how... I approach them and people are, I mean, I've been lucky in this sense because people have always been so nice as to tell me their experiences and to open up to me, probably because they feel that they cannot open up very much in general. And they, after a while, they started trusting me. And yes, I'll talk a lot with people about their suffering. This is how we approach the, these things. See, and has it changed your beliefs at all? My beliefs, mm, I tend to be, nah, let's put it like this. Mm, what I try to, one of the many things that I try to do with my research is a little bit relativizing the importance of belief. And I, I know that it's a tricky answer to an, a relatively easy question. But <laughs> and I'm sorry about this. But it's one of the main points, the core points of what I'm trying to do. Mm, 
because what I what I've been seeing is that even these people do not really believe at the beginning, and this is true. I do research in I do field work both in Japan and in Italy, and also a little bit in Austria, by the way, because I used to teach in Vienna too. Mm, but mainly Japan and Italy, and in Italy I do research on demonic possession, and I found out that initially these people would not believe themselves, but then by experiencing things they started believing, obviously, because they, they experienced. And so I don't think that believing is very central anyway. And so what I come to think is that, well, let's put it like this, I'm more concerned about the fact that I think that these spirits or the devil are true, definitely true, Mm. to the extent that they are experienced by people and they have mm, an influence on people's lives and they become social entities, which is exactly like you and me, right? So I might believe that you are beyond my camera in this moment, <laughs> but we, we never met, right? So we are interacting through a medium that is zoom in this specific case but to me you're you are a voice right i'm assuming that you are that, that, that there is someone behind that voice and that's the same from your perspective right mm -hmm. so you are true to me to the extent that i can interrelate with you through my bodily perceptions and if i can interrelate or i feel certain presences and spirits, and they have an influence on me, then they are true. Amazing. You've talked about, um, you mentioned already feeling and how that tends to be the, at the core of these supernatural experiences. The academic term that you have used is affect, uh, and you've explored yeah. the relationship between affect and discourse particularly in the case of lived tourist experiences at haunted places. Could you explain what affect is and what other knowledges it reveals to us? And also, uh, is there a connection between affect and belief in the supernatural? Mm. Affect is, first of all, a very fancy theoretical framework at the moment. Mm, so called, the so-called affective turn now has invested a lot of disciplines and anthropology is one of them. It is, it comes from mainly um, social theory in general and somehow from some twisted interpretation of cognitive science and philosophy. So there is this guy called philosopher, um, Canadian philosopher called Brian Masumi, plus to a French philosopher, Deleuze, who worked with a psychiatrist, Gattari, and they worked a lot on affect, relying on Spinoza and so on and so forth. And so forth. We are not interested in this. Masumi, who is like the authority in affect theory at the moment, um, defines affect as felt intensities or as the capacity to, aff to affect and be affected. Now, said like this sounds like nothing, but put it in very simple terms, mm, affect is what you feel. And all the feelings that you have, 
Then, and now I'm following Masumi's explanation, what you feel can become a discourse. He says um, is captured into structures of feelings, of meaning, sorry. So basically, to put it quite simply, imagine that you are happy. We both talk about a certain emotion that is called happiness. But how I feel happiness, the way that I am happy, is possibly very different from the bodily feelings, from the affects of happiness that you have. Plus, when you talk about happiness, there are certain bodily feelings which are identified with happiness that tend to be, you know, some certain warmth in some part of the body, typically the stomach or your breast and so on. Mm. But you also have other feelings which you don't capture, you don't, mm, you don't transform, you ignore when you talk about happiness. Affect is the whole bunch of feelings. Then there is discourses about emotions, happiness, and this is the difference. And the problem is trying to understand what is going on from an experience, bodily experience perspective, bypassing this language thing. Because what you feel is actually more than what you can explain through words and language which have a history, right? And they are relatively limited. So this is all the fuzz about affect theory. And it's not obvious, obviously it is not very easy to get beyond language and beyond words, but one can try. And this is the knowledge that one hopes to obtain through this approach. So could you put it simply as affect being the whole bodily experience in a certain context, and the minute you try and put that into a word, you're cutting out, you're, you're cutting out a piece from the whole. Exactly. Okay. Quite a lot to digest there. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk about your Kyoto case study. Uh, so in Japan Review's special issue on war, tourism, and modern Japan, you wrote an article mm -hmm. on the obliteration of Korean laborers in contemporary Kyoto, based around the Kyotaki Tunnel. Through a guided ghost tour of this tunnel, you associated the hauntings of this place with the forgotten dark history of the Korean laborers who constructed it. Could you tell us a bit more about this and the link between hauntings, memory, and tourism? Yes, I could. Um, I will try to tell you a bit more. The whole thing started because I found that there was this tour of haunted places here in Kyoto. We were talking about 2010. And it was apparently very, very successful. I mean, not apparently, it was very successful. Starting in 2009, they had one route. In 2010, when I started doing this research and I was well being doing my postdoc at Kyoto University, um, they had two routes. In 2011, they had four routes. And then they were planning on having eight routes in 2012, but in 2011 there was the triple disaster and everything got cancelled, basically. So what was going on 
was basically the commodification of a certain tendency or a certain trend that has been there forever. So a lot of Japanese people, especially mm, especially young youngsters, go to places which are considered haunted to enjoy a thrill, basically. And they you do it during the summer and to, to feel cold. And and there is a lot of, you know, what, what do you do when you're young? You you go with a bunch of friends and a, a bit of girls and, and, and you try to have fun and to scare the people and so on and so forth. This, um, this travel agency decided to try and commodify the thing. And again, it was pretty successful until 2011. So, but with this numbers of people who start going and with the website of the agency uh, in a way advertising promoting these places things became a little bit more complex so basically people started being a little bit more interested in this kind of phenomena and the reasons why ghosts come out in these places and the reasons why you know you have these feelings because everything again everything starts from feelings from going there and either you feel something or you don't and if you don't then nothing happens if you do feel something people start being becoming curious and they want to you know fill the gaps and understand why ghosts appear there now typically if you browse on the internet there are uh, several different rumors about these places and there are websites mm, that put them all together. Often mm, in these cases you find what Komatsu calls dark history related um, memories and hence the more the people who browse the more certain rumors spread right mm -hmm. and and the more certain rumors spread, the more the history or better uh, memories, social memory about that specific place can change, can change. So in that specific case in my article, memories about Koreans in the area were, had been obliterated nearly in the locality because they, they, were uncomfortable history and but the place the tunnel itself had been perceived as haunted for a long time but it had always been connected to koreans too so more recently with these um, with these new practices of, and, and interest about these places i started finding out these memories about koreans that pop, popped up started popping up on the internet so um, it, um, in my case, it, I'm, let's put it like this, I'm more interested in understanding how memory, social memory is created. And obviously it is always a matter of who makes history, right? So it's a matter of power and hence power relationships that change. Um, I'm more interested in this than, you know, on the actual historical fact that relates to that area. Specifically in the case of Kiyotaki, if I had to follow, you know, that old sort of 
approach Japanese style and looking at the history of the area, that there's a lot of stuff that could have been said, but it doesn't come out in, in rumors. So it means that people are not really interested in, in the fact that it comes out in Heike Monogatari and it was, it was a place for cremation. People are not interested in this. They tend to be more interested in Korean history, more recent history. So this is how I deal with these things. And how practices and memories and, of course, these bodily experiences correlate, right? And they create new realities in a way. And it seems like the internet has played a powerful role there, well, creating yes. new power and allowing these rumors to become discourses, as it were. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, I could not write about this because finding, finding actual data is a pain. <laughs> but I always, um, I always tell people this I started this research thinking um, that haunted places or basically places that become famous as haunted, so the rumor spreads. Because first of all, I live in Kyoto and I do research in Kyoto. If you think about Kyoto statistically, somehow at some, some point in time, somebody died pretty much anywhere. Right. So the problem <laughs> <Yep>. is, <laughs> the problem is, uh, how is it that one specific spot becomes famous as haunted and not another one? Right. It, it, it relates to rumor spreading. And one dimension is this feeling part. Another dimension is that I thought that haunted places would overlap with outcast areas or non not registered outcast areas, which is another topic that I have and I'm writing in the book. So I haven't published anything yet because it's completely new. So basically, yeah, I thought it, they would overlap mainly with outcast areas or previous outcast areas, but it, they don't. And the reason is exactly because on the internet, they started overlapping, but then people in those areas started suing the webmasters. <laughs> and threatening <laughs> or threatening them that they would sue them if they if they do not delete the, the name of that place and area as soon as possible so as a result of this and again you have all these power relationships right and contestations on the internet and as, as a result of it all the haunted places um, now or like 90% of them are public place, public spaces because otherwise you, you get people who threaten to haunt, to to sue you so basically i was so right that i turned out to be wrong <laughs> <laughs> wow i guess people wouldn't expect legal threats to be what shapes ghost stories yeah. and where they appear but yeah fascinating in my own research of war heritage sites in Kyoto, um, I have encountered marginalized historical narratives of war, which were only memorialized by grassroots efforts. Um, and these fringe narratives were already on the cusp of living memory and obscurity, making researching them quite a challenge. Um, you've said that you um, were reticent to uh, 
explore the history behind the sites that you've looked at. Um, I imagine researching the mm. historicity of hauntings must present a whole different level of difficulty. Um, and you mentioned that, that there is not such a clear link in Japan between ghost stories and the historical past as seen in other mm-hmm. neighboring Asian countries like Korea and China. So basically, I want to ask, how did you link these hauntings with historical fact? Mm, well, through memory, mm, basically, ra- rather than facts, mm, through memory and how people talk or what kind of rumors revolved around one specific place rather than another. If you wanted to link them with historical facts, then, I mean, it would not be possible quite, quite simply and straightforwardly. Um, because on the one, because you, you will have to double check, right? You need a process of control for, uh, about this um, hypothesis. On the other hand, not all haunted places relate to uncomfortable history in a political sense, like Korea or China related history. So for instance, Mm, and then it also depends on who tells the story to whom. So, for instance, the article that I wrote is about a specific tunnel in Kyoto that was built as a railway tunnel. Mm, but all the railway tunnels in Kyoto were built by Korean laborers, either indentured laborers or forced laborers if it's in a later stage. But not all the the tunnels in Kyoto are considered haunted. But if you start talking with Zainichi Koreans, to them, many more tunnels of the Keihan or Hankyu lines, which are the ones that were built by Korean laborers, are haunted. So certain rumors spread within certain communities and not others. And certain rumors, the in certain places, like the tunnel, in my case, managed to re- not really rewrite history, but to bring back a certain kind of history that was forgotten in that specific case. Who knows, maybe other tunnels will unearth um, these kind of histories in other cases too. I have no idea, but it, it happens sometimes. Just to bring in my research a little bit, I was researching sites of, of bombings during World War II in central Kyoto. Um, and I've seen how these these histories were marginalized and it's it's barely surviving as memory, say, for grassroots efforts. And it can I can see how... In the near future, these histories might become forgotten in the the post-living memory world. And possibly they might re-emerge later um, through a narrative of hauntings. Mm. And is that a plausible process of how marginalized history becomes rumors of hauntings? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is absolutely possible, and it's not not even a, a thing that is a process that is unique to Japan. It happens everywhere. Um, one central thing in one central element 
at least as far as I can say, is that to have the haunting narrative, at least here in Japan, you need to have this feeling dimension. And that feeling emerges because you relate to a certain kind of environment, right? So if the environment changes, or if people stop going there and feeling, having these feelings in that specific environment, then it is difficult that the, the narrative holds on, on its own. So, and this is also one reason why narratives about hauntings constantly change, actually. You have, there is a very famous place, haunted place here in Kyoto, Midorogaike, and that has been considered haunted for probably 60, 70 years, probably even more. But now if you browse the internet now, and there are very, very few websites that report it because it has become just a normal lake with, you know, buildings around and it's not particularly scary anymore. So those narratives, and that wasn't, um, that didn't relate to any kind of uncomfortable history. So it's not even kind of that there is any process of silence in anything. Mm. The ghosts are, are something that you feel, but they are ethereal, right? And also these stories are ethereal. And if something changes, then mm, it is difficult that they, they go on. So if that, those areas in southern Kyoto have become residential areas, unless, as you mentioned, there is some grassroots movement that keeps those stories alive, it is plausible that one day they, will, they, they become, you know, history stories of hauntings, but maybe not. It is definitely one process. Mm. It happens in Britain too, right? Yeah, I guess so. That's, I'm yeah. not really someone who's explored this side of, side of things before. So you would say that just because a history is revived as um, rumors of hauntings, even then, it's not, it's not necessarily immortalized that these uh, rumors of hauntings are just as likely to disappear again. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the story needs to be, I mean, hauntings and ghost stories are a way to, to keep those memories or to recreate those memories. Mm. But as long as those memories are not brought back into official historiography, then they might continue among people as rumors, but they may not. Your research into the supernatural is not limited to Japan, as you've mentioned, extending to both Italy and Austria. Uh, what can we learn from a transnational comparison of supernatural phenomena and practices? Besides discourses and focusing on experiences, first, I have to admit that I'm getting closer and closer to psychology, social psychology, cognitive psychology, and some sort of cognitive sciences, even though our relationship is not really peaceful. So what we can learn from a transnational comparison is basically two things that there are certain 
for example, feelings or symptoms or experiences which are in common. There are some common experiences in both contexts. But most of the time, those specific feelings, for example, are arranged in, in, in very different ways. And there are also very practical, like really practical things. What kind of tool is used during an exorcism? What kind of tunnels are accessible, accessible in Kyoto? Mm, which are not accessible, for example, in Venice, where I come from. These very practical things create feelings, right? Hence, the materiality of the environment, together with cultural aspects, social aspects, how people interact with one another, the actual interactions during a ritual create completely different results. And so what you can learn from transnational comparison is first of all what is common and what is not so what, what might be considered some sort of universal and what not but also what needs to be done my in, at least in my in my view from my from my perspective is emphasizing this difference and and the cultural social material aspects because otherwise you tend to, that there is high risk to see things as too universal and not taking differences into account. And this might be, you know, uh, not very problematic if you talk about tourism and hauntings. It becomes much more problematic if you talk about spirit possession and pathologization of things and certain states. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yes, I see what you mean. And certain things, I, I have to say, by experience, certain things can be understood only through comparison, which, by the way, I mean, I'm an Italian guy. It's true that I've been living in Japan continuously for 10 years and maybe in my whole life, maybe more than 12. But I'm, I'm Italian. And so, I mean, I, unconsciously, I do compare whenever I do field work here in Japan. So it's better to do it explicitly and thinking about it a little bit more from my perspective than not doing it. And by doing this, there are certain things that you understand only through comparison from my, from my perspective. Wow, it definitely seems like you're creating a whole new lens, trying to bring together fields which have not conventionally been brought together before. It's very exciting hearing about, hearing about your research. Thank you for joining us today, Andrea. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You can find a link to Andrea's research profile and his article on the hauntings of Kiyotaki Tunnel in the description below. Join us next week when we will be joined by Dr. Isa Cavedzia, Senior Lecturer in Anthropology at the University of Exeter, to discuss super-aged Japan and the challenges of a top-heavy demographic. Thank you for listening.